1: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette, I'm Greta Johnson, and ever since Jaws came out in 1975, this time of year is usually considered summer blockbuster season. Which makes sense, right? I mean, why not beat the heat by sitting in an aggressively air-conditioned movie theater eating snacks in the dark while watching a big, loud movie with a bunch of strangers? It sounds great! Obviously, movie theaters weren't a thing at all last summer, and they kind of are now, though the Delta surge definitely means it's unclear again about what's going to happen to movies that were planned for theater releases in 2021, which means we are definitely still seeing the impact of COVID on the entertainment industry. Later in the show, we're going to check in with film critic Robert Daniels about his favorite flicks of the year, including one I was quite surprised to hear was actually good.
2: Nicolas Cage is this retired chef who just decided to retire to the wilderness with his truffle pig and all he wants is peace. That's all he wants.
1: But first, here to tell us about some summer movies to check out, and which ones to avoid, and what the deal is with that whole Scarlett Johansson-Disney lawsuit, is Eliana Doctorman. She writes about pop culture for time. Eliana, hello.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: So let's talk about what has come out lately. What's good?
3: For sure. I mean, I think one of the films that I have seen recently that I've really liked was Zola, Mm. which supposedly the first movie based on a Twitter thread.
0: You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's kind of a crazy and dramatic story. uh, A true story about a woman who has sort of this friendship, like, falling in love with a friend at first sight yeah, kind it's of sweet
1: thing. it's a sweet beginning i saw this actually just over the weekend and yeah the beginning is yeah like new friend crushes are so exciting and they captured it really well i thought
3: yeah very relatable in that sense the rest of the movie maybe a little less relatable <laughs> because they go on a road trip together to do what Zola the main character thinks is going to be um working at a strip club in Florida but then it turns out that her new friends may have uh more malicious things in mind and it's a trip I mean it's it's fun while also being a little bit dark it really does this great tonal balance um so I would definitely recommend it I think that Mm -hmm. it's probably going to be a part of the oscar conversation um if not the movie then some of the performances and has a lot to say about race in america and gender and but it's also just can be kind of a fun almost like musical-esque experience at times when they're Mm -hmm. just kind of partying and having fun but even more mainstream movies like i saw the suicide squad um and that movie is like Guardians of the Galaxy, but disgusting. Like, <laughs> whatever. I, I'm i assuming the conversation between Warner Brothers and James Gunn was, you know how Disney won't let you do X, Y, Z things? Do all of it here. Like, oh. blow up as many heads as humanly possible. <laughs> and then, like, zoom in on those blown up heads. But it is it's pretty fun if you... Um, are into gross talking animals that bite people's heads off. Yo, they sent me into a werewolf! Yo, let me out! he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel!
2: He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but,
3: you know. It's like, I cannot emphasize enough how many heads <laughs> explode in this movie.
1: Okay, good to know, good to know. So, let's see. Speaking of weird trailers I've seen, have you seen the movie Old yet? Tell us about that one.
3: Yeah, um. Mm-hmm. so I am not the biggest M. Night Shyamalan okay. person uh, as of late because I think that you know he has like good concepts that aren't executed the uh-huh. best I would put slot old in that category um, I sort of went in thinking that old would be a movie about like the horrors of like being a parent watching a child grow up too quickly like it would be sort of a metaphor for that it's not I mean it's not really trying to do anything except age these people super fast
1: because just to fill people in who haven't seen the trailer yet essentially it's like these people go on a vacation they find this really beautiful secluded beach and like the kids disappear for a while and the kids come back and they're like grown ass human beings essentially
2: my daughter just
1: turned six two weeks
3: ago
1: is happening to us is happening very fast
3: you have wrinkles there's something wrong with this beach i am not the first person to say this but like why is this not international news that like people keep going to this beach and then never coming mm. back like <laughs> why what 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 is happening here that people keep going to this beach it has a twist, sure. as all M Night Shyamalan movies do. That I won't ruin at the end. That is a little bit interesting, but mostly are they it's just—is
1: it because they're all dead?
3: It's not because they're all dead, but they okay, are great. all like on the cusp of death. Because as we've established, the beach makes you sure. old, and being old is inescapable. Um, so yeah, it's—I mean, yeah throw that in with the categories of there are some weird movies out Mm. right now Um, the concept for this is weird and truly horrifying because aging that quickly I mean I think that's everyone's worst fear (laughs) so
1: so kind of a general trend question one of my friends went to see fast nine probably like a month ago now and they said all the trailers before watching fast nine were for superhero movies I mean it makes sense people who go see fast nine probably want to go see superhero movies um, But I don't know. What do you think? Like, are there actually more superhero movies now than normal? What's your take?
3: I mean, there are definitely more than usual. There are four Marvel movies. Slated oh wow, for this that year, is a lot. And we've only gotten one of them so far. And in a typical year, I think they're like two or three. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a lot. And we're we're halfway through the year, and we haven't seen three of these movies, all of which currently right now are slated to come out in theaters, which uh-huh. TVD, uh how that works out uh based on pending lawsuits <laughs> 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 um, which we can get into yes. but uh yeah there's i there is a lot of backup like venom is coming out is um sort of the sony spider verse movie that they are putting out obviously the justice league is coming out mm. um there's a fair number of ones still left on the docket mostly it's these these big marvel movies that unlike Warner Brothers, which just ended up putting out Wonder Woman 1984 straight to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Disney hung on to all of these because it really wanted theatrical releases for its Marvel movies. Honestly, they probably would have held Black Widow even longer if it weren't for the fact that Black Widow sets up the plot of a future Marvel TV show. And we can kind of see where Disney's priorities lie right now. Um, they really want people to subscribe mm-hmm. to Disney+. Plus and their streaming service. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's kind of become a complicated release situation.
1: So yeah, let's get into that a little more because I think it's really interesting and I think it's complicated for a couple different reasons, right? I mean, one is the pandemic and especially the Delta variant and like how that's about to change things because it kind of seems like it it could, right? The, The streaming question is a really big one, partly because of this lawsuit that you referred to, which is scarlett johansson sued disney right can you set that up for us
3: basically what happened is the way that a lot of actors contracts work is that they get one payment up front when they sign on to do sure. a movie like Black well and it's got to be
1: just gobs of money right because it's marvel and that's the deal
3: tons of money then they get a second check depending on how the movie does at the box office. So their earnings are often directly tied to box office success. Um, And that is being disrupted a little bit now that a lot of these studios are releasing... These movies simultaneously on streaming and in theaters, which theater owners and lots of actors would argue cannibalizes the potential for the money that can be made at movie theaters.
1: Sure. And is it is it worth pointing out in this case with Black Widow, the Scarlett Johansson Marvel movie? She I mean, that one did pretty well in the box office given COVID. Right. Like it was a pretty strong opening, wasn't it?
3: It had a great opening weekend, a record-setting opening weekend during COVID, mm-hmm. and then it fell off the side of a cliff.
1: Oh, okay. So that's... Okay.
3: Right. So her argument is that the people who were going to see it the opening weekend theaters went and saw it, but then the people who would see it otherwise... Just ended up renting it at home and so we don't know the exact structure of her contract and if you know she was getting a cut of those rentals disney seems to imply that they cut her just a basic check for the fact that it was streaming on disney plus but mm-hmm. there's been a lot of back and forth and part of the tension here is that scarlett johansson has made 11 films for yeah. disney and she has been the star of exactly one of them like she has been a workhorse um I recently wrote a feature on Black Widow where I talked to Scarlett Johansson I mean for the first time back in like March of 2020 so something that has been long gestating um about how uh you know in the first movie that she's introduced in Iron Man 2 she's called a potentially expensive sexual harassment lawsuit that is Mm. the line that introduces her and um you know she in avengers 2 is equated to being a monster um because she's unable to have children because she had a forced hysterectomy in her Mm -hmm. past and just a lot of sexist treatment and chris evans and jeremy renner joked on the press tour for the avengers movies that the character was a slut um because she had had flirtations with all of these different avengers and it's this circumstance where she was the one woman on the original avengers team the writers clearly had no idea what to do with her except make her flirt with everyone
1: right make put her in a tight outfit and make her hot and then it's that's all you need to do right
3: exactly and um i mean black widow the movie um to its credit the director kate shortland really reckons with that and you know talks about sort of makes fun of the the black widow pose that's sort of the like split legged like mm. look with sultry eyes pose that she does mm. in every movie which was clearly conceived by a man like no <laughs> human lands that way um <laughs> this is how men think like women she's there to be an object that's boggled. so it's particularly unfortunate that this is happening because frankly she's endured a lot of sexism and bs over the course of working for marvel and um at least the character has and and she has on press tours uh that now you know finally finally after a decade of working for them um her movie comes out and she's not getting the same treatment that the robert downey juniors and chris evans's of the world did and of course we're living in a pandemic and that's the reality but you know, other studios made an effort to make things right with actors when this happened. Uh, You know, news came out when Wonder Woman 1984 hit HBO Max that Warner Brothers just went ahead and cut Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins checks and Mm. said like, hey, this isn't going to roll out the way we thought it did. And apparently had quite heated negotiations back and forth. Um, But, you know, they ended up just paying them, um, what they were due.
1: I mean, great. Um, Yeah. Let's do that.
3: So it's, I think that another aspect of this is it's particularly unfortunate that this past year, the summer of 2020 was supposed to be the year of like women blockbusters. Wonder Woman 1984 Mm. was supposed to come out. Mulan, the Eternals, Mm. um, black widow, all of these female led franchises that were sort of the wave that came after the success of wonder woman it took a few years for them to be like Mm -hmm. oh this works okay let's make more of these um Mm -hmm. and let's let women direct them which is the significant part of all of those films was that women were directing those films um kate shortland who directed black widow is the first solo woman to direct a marvel superhero movie which is wild um wild and so Uh, I mean, on top of that, like movies like Cruella or Jungle Cruise, which is coming out, which stars Emily Blunt, um, or came out last week, you know, a lot of female led movies were really supposed to roll out at in 2020 and beginning of 2021, most of which are now going to streaming. And, you know, there have been rumors since Scarlett Johansson filed her lawsuit that Emma Stone who was in Cruella and Emily Blunt, who is in jungle cruise might also file lawsuits, um, making similar claims. And, you know, it it was supposed to be this triumphant moment last year for all of these women to get these starring roles. And now they're all kind of being pushed to these streaming services and, and not getting, they would argue paid fairly because of it. Um, and it's just sort of manifested in this really unfortunate and, and, crappy circumstance but yeah as i was saying i mean i think also disney put out black widow and will defend that choice because it sets up uh future uh streaming projects and right now their concentration is on disney plus and getting subscribers Mm -hmm. to disney Mm -hmm. plus um because who knows what the future of movie theaters is but people will always sit on their couch and you know stream TV shows or movies if they're fed to oh, them yeah. and I'm definitely a yep. part of that it's super convenient
1: um so I'm curious before I let you go what is the best movie that you've seen so far this year
3: it's a really good question and even as you're saying that I'm like sort of thinking over I mean I might have an extra bump to it because I experienced it in theaters but in the heights was one of the best movie going mm. experiences I've had recently
2: like up on Washington Heights, up at the break Yo, of day, I wake going? up and I got this little punk I gotta chase
3: away. Pop the grate at the crack of dawn. Obviously, I, I mean, speaking of like awning. fraught the movies, the <laughs> obviously In the Heights had some of its own problems in terms of That's true, polarism, like polarism yeah. yeah. So, but it was just like this incredibly joyful experience to have this uplifting musical playing when it was incredibly hot in New York and <laughs> it portrays an incredibly hot New York mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. this parallel and being able to sit Aww. in this air-conditioned movie theater that just just felt so joyful like I feel like I've seen like technically better movies at home on my laptop which but I, you know the movie theater going experience it's it, it experience. has so much value yeah. and I was just like weeping through half of that movie
1: oh.
3: uh, I think that there's just an emotional power in being surrounded especially in a movie like that
1: that sounds like an amazing experience and I mean that's kind of like the whole point of what movies are for right Well, Eliana, thank you so much for coming on. It was really a pleasure.
3: Thank you so much.
1: After the break, a professional movie watcher, a dude who has seen more than 300 movies this year, tells us about his favorites from 2021 so far.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast,
1: Now, maybe like me, you are not a total movie head. Maybe you're even thinking, you know, it would be really nice if someone could just like watch a gazillion movies and then tell me which ones are worth seeing. Well, that's what we're going to do right now. Our next guest is Robert Daniels. He's a Chicago based film critic and contributor to Roger Ebert, the L.A. Times and The New York Times. And he's already seen more than 300 movies so far this year. Robert, welcome to Nerdette. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's dive into your favorites so far. Your first pick is The Green Knight, which is the one with Dev Patel. I haven't actually seen it, but I'm really excited to. It's like a Knights of the Round Table movie. I've heard it's really weird. What did you think of it?
2: Well, obviously, I loved it. Um, It's directed by David Lowery, who uh, is known for very meditative films like Mm -hmm. A Ghost Story, um, starring Casey Affleck, and uh, Old Man and the Gun, which was Robert Redford's last film. This time he kind of tackles the idea of of The Green Knight, which is a 14th century English poem uh, based off of um, Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. And basically, I think the cool thing about what Lowry does is that it's not a perfect interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of, like, it doesn't follow it beat by beat by beat. He adds stuff to it, and what he does is that he adds a lot of the local mythology that would have been influencing Mm. um, whoever the author of Sir Gawain the Green Knight is anonymous.
3: Who can regale me and my queen with some myth?
2: Local folklore like St. Winifred, Um, We are talking animals. There's uh, Mm. a mix between paganism and Christianity. And there's this sense that this era of the round table is ending, right? Um, King Arthur is the gallant king that we've come to see. He's sort of worn down and uh, sort of on his last legs. And here's Gawain, who is really learning to become a knight he so desperately wants to be a knight he so desperately wants to have honor and virtue but he doesn't know how to get those things and this journey to the green chapel to face this this magical figure known as the green knight is his chance to learn those things and become um what we would think of a gallant knight
3: and what do you hope to gain Facing all of this honor.
1: That is why Knight does what he does.
2: It sounds really beautiful. It is. It's also, as you said, weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, great. I love a good weird one. Um, so I was really excited to see this next one on your list because I have to say, I thought it looked terrible when I watched the trailer, but I'm keeping an open mind. I would love for you to tell us about Pig, which... A friend of mine referred to as like John Wick with Nick Cage, but about a truffle pig. Is that is that
2: accurate? I wouldn't say it's completely accurate, <laughs> <laughs> but there is some truth to that. Um, it very much kind of in is in that John Wick kind of mold, um, and I can see why people would think that is bad. If Nicolas Cage, who's he's been doing better lately, but have <laughs> went on an entire decade of really schlocky roles <laughs> um <laughs> and he's with the pig so <laughs> you know it doesn't sound like a winning combination off the bat but it <laughs> but it is a winning combination what happens yeah. is Nicolas Cage is this guy who's just living in the woods you know uh mm-hmm. with uh,
1: his truffle pig as one does yes
2: with his truffle pig as one does <laughs> and as one want to do <laughs> um <laughs> And people come and they kidnap his pig. And this entire, he has to go out and try to find his pig. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone stole her. I don't understand. Not to spoil too much of the movie, but it seems like you would think that this movie is set like way back in the 1800s. Like this is some thorough kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I would guess that or like Italy. Like rural Italy or something.
2: Yeah, but it's set just outside of Seattle, like 2020, you know, but like Nicolas Cage is this retired chef who just decided to retire to the wilderness with his truffle pig, and all he wants is peace. That's all he wants, and he's dragged back into this weird underworld of like competing truffle hunters and chefs <laughs> and now once again it doesn't seem like a winning combination feels like it would be you know pretty idiotic there are funny portions in it um because it, it's nicholas cage kind of knows his persona he knows what people think of him and he's playing off of that but I would tell you the last five minutes, I was just in a pool of tears. No kidding! You, you so it's so affecting, and you so start to feel for Nicolas Cage, just trying to get. He just wants his pig back. <laughs> just, he just wants his friend. Wow. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm still reeling from this information. Like I just didn't think it needed to be on my list of things to watch. So the next one that you have on your top three list is one that I actually hadn't heard of at all. It's called Nine Days. Um, I watched the trailer since you kind of sent over your list. And it was one of those trailers that, like, probably within the first 30 seconds, I knew I was going to love it. So I kind of stopped paying attention because I want to, like, experience it on its own as much as absolutely possible. Can you tell us a little about it?
2: Yeah. So uh, Nine Days is directed by Edson Oda. It's his debut film. And it's starring Winston Duke. I saw this film at Sundance 2020 which was kind of like the last normal film festival before everything went up in flames. That's wild. But I think there are very few movies that really capture this everything that we've been going through over the last 18 months. Winston Duke plays this kind of this like file keeper who's at the edge of the universe in this desert area land nothing's around him it's desolate he has this tidy little house and he watches televisions and on these televisions are people's actual lives well what we find out later is that winston duke actually is someone who chooses what souls get to live and then from that point he tracks those souls and you know sees how they how they do Hmm. well one of those souls uh ends up dying and it completely shatters him and then he has to go through the process again of choosing between a select few prospective souls a lot of it is duke's character trying to grapple with existentialism um he's grappling with unexplained loss and um and really trying to go through the things that he wants changed and what he thinks is it takes to survive in life Um, And he's trying to instill this into these prospective souls. Now, the kick of it all is that if he doesn't choose you to to, to have a life, you cease to exist. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. It's just incredible world-building. There there are moments that made me absolutely cry. And Winston Duke has an incredible performance in it. I mean, a lot of people know him as M'Baku from Black Panther. And a few people know him from um, Jordan Peele's Us, playing the dad Mm -hmm. in that film. But he shows just a completely different area of his range, something that's so vulnerable and raw. And by the end of the movie you know, there's this big, big, big soliloquy that when I talked to Oda, he said was influenced by dead poet society. So if that's up your alley, (laughs) you know what you're in for. And it just is this great philosophical conundrum that is put into this bite-sized package. And uh, I absolutely love it.
1: (laughs) It sounds incredible. How much do you think... Like, the fact that you got to see it in sort of the last instance that you possibly could has impacted how you feel about it. You know, like, I think about the last movie I saw in a theater, which was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and it was in February, maybe even early March of 2020. And, like, part of me is sort of like, well, if that's the last movie I ever saw in a theater, like... Could have been worse, you know? (laughs) Do you think about that, too? I mean, I suppose you've been going back to theaters this year a little bit at least, huh?
2: Yeah, I I have been going back to theaters. I will say I saw nine days of the last day of Sundance. So what typically happens at film festivals is, is that the first like five days, like all the premieres, that's like the peak of any festival like Sundance. And then if you stay past the five days, you spend the rest of the time trying to, like, catch up on what everyone else was buzzing about. And I had heard from a few friends, like, oh, there's this movie called Nine Days. You have to catch it. And so that was one of the last films I saw, Sundance. And at the beginning of Sundance, COVID, there were some some whispers of it. But it's amazing how much, you know, a week can change that. Because by the end of Sundance, people were really talking about it. And so, I don't think anyone foresaw what, obviously what was going to happen over the next eighteen months. Oh god! And, but of course not. The, there was some kind of like ethereal feeling that that we all, in the back of our heads, kind of knew in that theater, mm. and that movie. I could hear sniffling. I could hear crying. I could hear the mm. audience, and it, it was it almost like a, a, a added ambience, right to the actual experience of watching it. Now, uh, I kept that movie in the back of my head for. 18 months. And then a, a couple of weeks ago, I rewatched it for the first time since Sundance. And you know what? It's, I don't think it was the 18 months that like builds it up for me. It's just a great movie because it hit exactly the same at home as it did in the theater.
1: Wow. I'm really excited to see that. It's not, I mean, even just hearing you describe it is giving me goosebumps. Like it just sounds like kind of exactly what our hearts all need to kind of grapple with right now.
2: Yeah. And it's always, I mean, for me, it's always exciting finding a new directorial voice like Esen Oda who kind of came out of nowhere. I think he's like a, a he directed music videos and commercials. Mm. <laughs> and wow. this is his first feature you know, film debut. And it's it's one of the most unique things I've seen.
1: That's really exciting. So before I let you go, I wonder if there's anything yet to come out this year that you're especially excited about that you think we should keep an eye out for.
2: Ooh, that's a good question. There's, there's like so much. Well, it's weird because, you know, everything's kind of up in the air right now. We don't know what's yeah. going to happen. What I will say is, let's see, there's a movie called Free Guy that's either out today or tomorrow that I would keep an eye out for that's starring hmm. Ryan Reynolds, who is a video game character who doesn't know that he's a video game character. Um, oh,
1: interesting. It's
2: really funny, and if you're a big Ryan Reynolds fan, it hits all the classic beats of... Of Ryan Reynolds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that makes me think of the Truman Show. Is does it have similar vibes to that? Just in terms of sort of like self awareness or whatever.
2: Yeah, it does have very similar vibes to it. I will say the Truman Show obviously is about television, and then uh, this is about video games. But I, right, I right. think much in the same way that the Truman Show is critiquing those who watch television and what they look for in entertainment is um Free Guys also critiquing people who play video games and what they look for in video games. Um, and so it's just as much about the video game players as about the video game character.
1: Huh, that's really interesting. And that's, like, just out now, so we can all go check it out.
2: Uh, you know, usually when people ask me that question, it's always difficult because I see movies two, three weeks in advance. i mm-hmm. I've always mm-hmm. just... I'm always so far off. Whenever my friends are like, oh, what's what's out now that I should watch? I'm like, I don't know.
1: You're like, it's in the <laughs> past, man. I can't tell you. That's really funny. Uh, well, Robert, thank you so much for sharing some of your top movies of the year with us. Those are all, I, like, you've convinced me on all three counts, which I did not think was going to happen. So I appreciate your time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, thanks for having me on. It's uh, fantastic. I love said I love all these movies, and I love talking about them.
1: All right, that's it for this week. The show is produced by me and Hannah Edgar. Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. And hey, one last thing. I and this wonderful show can make our way to your earholes because when we ask, listeners donate. nerdac comes from WBEZ and WBEZ is public radio and public radio is fueled by the public. It's fueled by listener dollars. Thank you to everyone who has given in the past, by the way. We couldn't do it without you. And for those who haven't, we're not asking you right now, but we're going to. And when we do, we would just be so delighted if you would say yes. So that's it for now. We'll be back with you soon. Bye.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen. Nguyen